love having Jeff here. Uh, come on, Jeff. Come on up, and you got uh, I'll turn it over to Appreciate you. And maybe it. you can even tell us a little bit about what's happening at Frisco. You got Airport. it. I can okay. love to do that. Thank All you, right. Barry. Well, guys, I will tell you, uh, I love being here, and uh, what a privilege this is. And so um, when Carlos is out, I say, hey, hit me up, let me know. I'd love to come be with you all, because I love Virginia Beach. Well, if uh, we have not had the pleasure of meeting just yet, uh, my name is Jeff Lee, and I am the RUF campus pastor at Christopher Newport University. So my job is to be a pastor to the students at Christopher Newport um, I offer care to uh, faculty and staff if they need as well, and uh, I get the distinct privilege of preaching, teaching, counseling, and building and discipling young leaders for the church now and for the days and years to come as well. So I kind of get to be um, a missionary on this campus, bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to this younger generation who's the next generation of the church. And so it's my privilege to get to do that week in and week out. And um, I have a delight love that you guys, which I say thank you to, you guys support me in that work. So thank you for your love, for your care, for all the, the contributions you give, because you guys literally make it possible for me to share literally the, the love of Christ with others. So thank you for that. Um, it's a privilege to be here and to give back to you guys, because you guys give so much to me. And uh, one thing I will tell you all to be praying for um, is just a quick update. Um, we have a pastor's retreat this weekend, Sunday to Tuesday. Carlos will be joining me later on tomorrow. And we lead a retreat. It's for many presbyteries. So lots and lots of pastors from North Carolina to Virginia to uh, Maryland as well. And we gather to be refreshed and to hear we bring in a speaker. And my, my prayer is that you guys would pray for us um, as pastors. This is a great weekend trip that we get. It's the Sunday to a Tuesday where we get to be poured into, we get to be cared for. And um, would you pray that that time would be sweet? Because um, when we pray message, um, I'd love to ask you guys to pray with me for this retreat. And uh, I have the distinct privilege of overseeing and do the administration for this retreat. So pray for me as well, my sanity, as I go through uh, leading um, all of these pastors from different places and get to have some fun. So pray for me. I need it as well. Um, well, we are talking uh, today about Exodus chapter 19 and 20. In your bulletins, you'll see that the sermon is titled, A Covenant with Israel. We're going to talk about that. We're going to see that there is a God who is building a specific, a dynamic, a distinct people of, people of, of his own choosing for a specific mission, a specific purpose. We're going to see some of these covenantal promises and some of the work that they're called to do to remain distinct, but also to be able to gift this way of flourishing to the nations. So we're going to see that there is a God who's building a people for his use and for their own joy in that use of what God is doing. And so we're going to dive into that in 19 and 20 today. But before we do, um, I'll give you a quick illustration of this. This past Friday, um, I was with my wife, Alicia, and my two children. They're four and two, JJ and Lily. And we went and saw um, the movie, the Lego movie, the second version of it. It was good. I recommend it. But when we were watching this, I had forgotten that the main character in the Lego movies is a construction worker named Emmett. Um, he's just a common guy. 
But I forgot, one, he's called the special, which is a pretty big deal, part of the first movie. He's called the special. But what is special about Emmett is that he's a master builder. And what is a master builder? Well, it's a person who can construct like all these amazing things by looking at all these various parts and can quickly build them into cars, buildings, airplanes. The master, master Lego builder is one that can just whip up and make amazing things really quick. That's what he does. But I thought, and it was kind of reflecting a, uh, like on this movie and the first movie um, as well, and what a master builder is and what Emmett's really, what makes him special, because that's what pastors do, thinking about sermon illustrations. Um, and I was thinking about, I was like, what is actually Emmett's special ability as a master builder? And it's he's building relationships, actually. He builds a team, especially in the first movie, of like-minded people, and they pull together and they bless a lot of people. Obviously, the children right above in the real world, they kind of come together. But Emmett's real special power is not the awesome, cool things that he does with the building, but it's building a relationships, building a team together, working together. And it's this picture of unity, simplicity, but communion of these, this building for a common goal and a common end that I really see this picture of Emmett being the special that makes him so unique and beautiful. Well, in the Bible, the master builder is God. He created everything good. He made it all amazing. But unfortunately, we, we wrecked it. We broke it very quickly in Genesis 3. And what we're getting after Genesis 3 in the Bible is a picture of God rebuilding brick by brick, piece by piece, his world, redeeming it all the way to an end where he's gonna one day restore it back to its original perfection. And the people who he chooses to do this building are the people of God, the people of Israel. He is building a people for himself to redeem and to bring restoration to this world. That's what we are called to do, to follow in our Savior's footsteps. And as we dive into Exodus 19 and 20, we begin to see our grand master builder working for himself a people who are to call and to follow in his footsteps and to also do this redemption and this building. And so we're going to connect some dots towards the end of seeing what's our call in light of what Christ does and what the nation of Israel does. What's our call in response to that building, right, and being a light to the nations. And so we're going to dive in and just see that in just a moment. But before we get into Exodus 19, pray with me. We'd have hearts to receive what God is going to say to us this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are faithful you are good. We do a lot of building. We do a lot of striving, Lord. We do a lot of the, the works of our hands, Lord. We use our vocations. But Lord, truly, we labor in vain. Lord, if it's not for your glory and for your honor, and Lord, if, if we're doing it on our own strength. And so, Lord, as you call us in our vocations and our lives into neighborhoods, into schools, Lord, into even this church and the folks around us and, and the families, Lord, to pray that, Lord, we would be a, a people, a light to the nations, Lord, a light to our neighbors, where we would rem remind ourselves that, Lord, the building of your kingdom is a building of your people, not necessarily of beautiful structures, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you're faithful. You are building up your people, your missional people, Lord, to be a light to the nations. Help us, Lord, to see the goodness of what you're doing and your building, and that, Lord, we would be a people, 
Lord, who would delight to be a part of, Lord, the work that you are doing in your building to redeem and restore this world for your glory and for our joy. Give us, Lord, hearts to hear, Lord, and to receive what you would say to us, Lord, as you share this good news, Lord, with who you're building up, Lord. And uh, Lord, we look to you for all these things and all God's people said, amen, amen indeed. So if you have a Bible, let's pull that out. Um, or if you have a bulletin, the bulletin also, the, the words are there. Let's look at Exodus 19, verses 1 through 6. And I'm going to read this out loud. Verse 1 says, Then the third month after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, and on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out for Rephidim, and they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. And there, in the wilderness of Sinai, Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord, called, the Lord God called out to him on the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the people of Israel that you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you out to myself. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the people of Israel. So what we're going to see, the three things we're going to kind of cover today as we look at this passage in 19 and we're going to get to 20, we're going to see three things. We're going to see that God's people are a chosen, a treasured possession. Second, we're going to see that this treasured possession is actually a kingdom of people who are called to be priests to all the other peoples on earth and that they're called to be a holy nation. So we're going to see they're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And third, in their distinctiveness, we're going to see God give them a way to remain distinctive so that they might flourish themselves and lead others into flourishing as well. And so those are the three things we're going to look at in closing with the Ten Commandments. And so this is what is going on in our passage. The context of Exodus 19, if you're not familiar with uh, what's going on in Exodus, what we have here is God reminding the people of Israel what he has done for them. He says, you yourselves, Israel, and a large, amassed group of people, they're at the foot of a mountain in Mount Sinai. He says, you large people, you have seen for yourselves what I did to the nation of Egypt, a very powerful grand nation, how I bore you, small Israel, on my back, right, on the, on, as if an eagle's wings, and I've brought you up out of this land of slavery and bondage, and I have set you free, and I even gave you possessions on the way out. I have given you life. I have given you a vision and direction of what I've called you to do and where I'm going to take you, and I've even given you goods on the way out. And even when you thought that when I brought you into the desert that I had just left you there to die, I provided for you. Water, manna from heaven, I have been with you. I will remain with you because I am God and you are my people. And so he's reminding them, I have saved you 
from the grips of a false god, Pharaoh. And I have brought you out so that you might worship me, the true and living God, and I'm providing for you. And now he says, reminding them, he says, if you will heed my voice, if you will obey me, hear my voice, keep my covenant promise, this blood bond between me and you, you will be my treasured possession among all the peoples, all the nations of the earth. Because guess what? All of earth is mine. I am the master builder. I've created everything. All nations are mine. But you, Israel, shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation set apart from the rest to be mediators for all the other nations, that you should be actually a light to the other nations. I am saving you and redeeming you to be special. And so what we have here is a special nation called for a special task. The good question to ask is, why are they a treasured possession? Is there anything in Israel that makes them unique or more beautiful than all the other nations? The Bible says no, they're not. They're sinful, they're idolatrous. They forget God very frequently. They grumble back at God constantly. This is not always a, a wonderful group of people. They're normal like everybody else. So why is it that God chooses them and says, you'll be a treasured possession? Well, one, because of God's divine election. Nothing good in them. They're like everybody else. But because of God's divine choosing and election as a nation, he says, you will be my people. I'll be your God. It's not as if they did good to, to earn that. It's actually unearned favor. But he elects them. He says also, too, because um, I'm faithful to keep my promises, and I've made promises to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the past, and I keep my promises. I don't forsake them. And also, you're not very big, you're not very strong, you're not very smart, you're not very amazing. You're a smaller, weak people among all the other nations of the earth. And um, through your smallness and your, your weak abilities, I will show myself to be big and strong through you for me to get the glory. And guess what? You get to be instruments of my divine work. You will get joy being a part of that. Moses tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he says, For you, Israel, are a people holy to the Lord your God, the Lord God has chosen you, Israel, to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more numerous than any other people that the Lord set his love on you or chose you, for you were the fewest of all people, but it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your forefathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, King Egypt." Theologian Mike Williams, um, a really wonderful professor at uh, Covenant Seminary, he said this. He said, God chooses Israel out of nothing but his good pleasure, to the exclusion of all merit. For indeed, there is no merit in Israel. They are a forgetful people. But God calls them into relationship to live in light of his grace, to live as members of his gracious household in obedient service. Israel's national adoption is the product of a thoroughly unearned grace, but with it comes responsibilities, a call, and a vocation under God. They are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, right? 
point two, to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Well, what, is, what does this mean, a kingdom of priests? Williams continues. He says, a kingdom of priests. Israel is called to represent the nations, all of them, before God, and to mediate God's redemptive purpose in the world. A priest stands between God and the people, representing each to the other. The fundamental purpose of priests in Israel was to represent the people before God through their sacrificial and intercessory ministry. Yahweh is here summoning Israel as an entire nation to act as a priest, a covenantal mediator between him and the rest of the world. And to fulfill such a mandate, Israel must be holy. They must be a holy nation. To be holy is to be separate from, but not separated from. Israel is to be distinct, distinguishable, different for the sake of the nations. They are the chosen instruments of their great redeemer to bring about this continuation of flourishing for the nations. They're called to do this, to be a light to the nations, a missional people for the flourishing of the cities the towns, wherever they live, wherever they are. They are middlemen, essentially, between the other nations and God with their vocation of being mediators. They're representing, they're going to do sacrifices, they're going to have law, they're going to have order as a picture that we have a God who is good, who's faithful, who is a God of both order and structure, But also these laws remind us God is holy and righteous. He is not like us, flawed and sinful, forgetful. He is wholly different and otherworldly as well. Both transcendent, but thankfully also eminent with us, even in our issues. But we are reminded that this is the national call for Israel, to be a group of people, mediators, tasked, distinguished, unique, that they are to remind the peoples of the earth that there is a holy God and that there can be flourishing in the brokenness of this world. But it only comes in the worship of Yahweh and the worship of God and doing it his way because life your way will not work if it's not God's way. And so they are to be a people to remind the nations that redemption and restoration is coming But in the meantime, while we wait for the Messiah and for him to restore all things that we broke, he says, there are some really good ways to live. Ways that we can follow that will lead towards life. And the reason why we need this way towards life, to to organize life and to, to worship a holy God, is because we're really messed up people. We're forgetful people. We worship all sorts of things, gives our time and money and energy to all sorts of things to fill voids in our lives, to cope with things in our lives. That's who we are as a people. And God says, I need you to be different, Israel. There are going to be hardships. There are going to be difficulties. There are going to be sacrifices. It's going to be worth it. But I need you to be different. I need you to be distinguished. I need you to be a contrast community, a light to the nations that they can look towards. But I need you also to know what flourishing looks like, to taste and see that I am good and that my way of life is actually really good. And it's the way towards not only physical life, but eternal life and flourishing now and forevermore. And so what he does, 
because he's a good God who provides for his missional people. He gives them laws to remind them this is what flourishing looks like. If you're gonna do it and embody it and gift it to others, you've gotta, you gotta taste and see for yourselves. And so he gives them 10 commandments. He gives them this moral law to say, this is a reflection of who I am and who you are to be to other people around you so that others can taste and see that this Yahweh God is good and so that they want some of that themselves. And so this is what he says. If you have a Bible, let's look at Exodus chapter 20 or if you're in your bulletins, Exodus 20 verses one through 17. This is covenant provision that God gives to Israel. He says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And because I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and the house of slavery, you should, one, therefore, have no other gods before me. Two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to these images and serve them for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. But I show continual steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Three, you shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall do no work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, female servant, your livestock, your, your sojourners within your gates. For in the six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything that's in them, and he rested, though, on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Five, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, your God, is giving you. Six, you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And ten, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, anything that is your neighbor's. He's saying you cannot live as the world lives. You're to be distinct and unique. You're not separated from the world, called to live in a small cloistered community that's only safe for yourself. He says no. You're to live among the nations, but you're to be a light as a people to the nations, a missional people. In order to set you apart, you have got to know the way of life that will breathe life into you, to your marriage, to your relationship with your children, with how you are to work, how your vocation, to how you're to think about how you handle the school systems, how you work with neighborhoods, all these things. You're to live this way and help others live this way and obey these commands. Because this is the way towards flourishing. Because this is what I've called you to do. And so this is the role and really identity of Israel. That one, they have a relationship with a holy God. And that actually shapes who they are. But it shapes also what they do. They are to be a, a, a reflection of who God is and his nature and his character. That's what they're being called to be. Priests, a holy nation, to embody and reflect the moral character of God to other people. 
as well as to tell them who Yahweh is, yes, but also to reflect it. Because the other nations are doing things like stealing, lying, coveting, committing adultery, right? They're making up graven images, they're worshiping other things, they're workaholics, perfectionists, not trusting in Yahweh God that he will provide for them. They make false gods themselves, whatever they might be in their different manifestations. They do all sorts of things to fill the voids in their life. But God says, you are to be different. There is to be a moral purity to you all because I'm calling you to be a light to them, to everybody else. Williams, theologian I quoted earlier, he says, Israel gives living embodiment of God's rule. He gives them a flesh and blood example of what it means to serve God with full devotion. God intends, he says, Israel to be a model, an example, a pattern among the nations. The Ten Commandments are to so permeate our lives that there is a pattern of flourishing in our relationships, both, right, vertically because the first four commandments are all about how we worship our God and the last six are how we do relationships with people. In order to build flourishing communities, God says this is, this is a way to life, to reflect me who made everything good in the beginning. You guys broke it. Well, I'm providing some ways to, to begin to see that there's gonna be some redemption, some restoration. You ought to live like this. Now, you guys know as well as I do, Ten Commandments, um, pretty hard to do all of them. And if you've, if you've ever encountered in the New Testament, um, Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, uh, the Savior, he says, not only are you to, to not even right, commit adultery, but even looking lustfully at a woman or a man is committing adultery, Right? He's talking about, hey, guess what? Maybe you haven't murdered somebody, but guess what? If uh, you've hated an enemy or somebody who's done really mean things or hurtful things to you, um, guess what? If you've hated them in your heart, you're guilty. He goes on to explain and even expand the heart of these commandments. What you begin to see, there is nobody who can do these perfectly. Nobody. And what you begin to see is, whoa, we've got a problem then. We're called to be a contrast community, a people set apart, a holy nation, this treasured possession. We got a problem. It's pretty hard to be that in this world, especially in the 21st century. We got a lot of things to distract us, to pull us away, to numb us from this stuff. This is not an easy calling for us. This is quite difficult. The good news of the gospel is, is that Jesus Christ, when he comes down, the Son of God comes, he does not relax the law. He fulfills the purpose of the law for us. I want to make a quick note about what a covenant is. A, a covenant, usually between two bodies, a suzerain king and, and vassals, his people, when a king makes a covenant, there's obligations, right? There's stipulations, and if you don't follow uh, the, the stipulations, uh, guess what? There's a covenant curse. But if you obey the stipulations, blessings come on you. God is giving these blessings to his people. He says, if you do this, flourishing life will come to you. Um, but guys, guess what? If you don't do it perfectly, the covenantal curse hangs over your head. Do you all know what the covenantal curse for breaking any covenant in the ancient Near East is? It's blood. Blood has to be shed. To break a covenant 
is to say, may death be on me if I don't do what this blood bond agreement says. And here's the problem from the very beginning, Adam to Noah to Abraham, right, to Moses. You see God's special people breaking covenant with God left and right. They don't do it perfectly. They don't do it right because it's really difficult. And Jesus even says, it's actually impossible. (laughs) A lot of bad news, right? A lot of bad news. Thank you, Jesus. You're supposed to save us. And you're just heaping even more good stuff on us. Thank you for that guilt trip. But what what we see in the gospel is Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm not going to relax these laws. I'm actually going to embody and fulfill them for you because you can't do them perfectly. I'm going to embody them. I'm going to do all of them. And also the other 600 plus Levitical laws that are actually in there. I'm going to live them and do them perfectly for you. This is what he says in Matthew 5. It says, do not think I have come to abolish these laws, right, or the prophets and what they've said. I've not come to abolish any of them, but I've come to fulfill what they have said. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the laws until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your personal holiness and life is so pure that it's better than people whose professional job it is to be holy and to even know and be able to recite the Ten Commandments without giving them to you first. He says, unless your holiness exceeds that, no dice. You don't get to get into heaven. That's bad news. But he says, though, we get a picture of, uh, but I've not come, right, to relax these, but I've actually come to fulfill them. That's the good news, the gospel that we have in here. That God, as he's building up his people as a master builder, he knows the frailty of us. He knows the depth of the brokenness of who we are and the world we live in. And so he does not leave us on our own. He actually provides himself as the way forward to flourishing and the way towards life. He is the light, the Gospel of John says. And we get to enjoy this light. He comes down to earth. And then he even gives us his Holy Spirit when he even leaves us and goes to heaven. A light then lives within us. We have a God who does not leave us in our missional call to be a blessing to others, but who says, I will do the mission for you and I'm gonna help you every step of the way and remind you that it's not you who's actually doing the work and the heavy lifting, but it's me working through you. You are weak and frail, but I am big and I am strong and I can do quite a bit. And so he says, lean on me, learn from me. Galatians 3 says, and I say this in closing, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. That's a big deal. He takes on the covenant cursing, and that's why his blood has to be shed, because we don't do this covenant perfectly. We don't do this well. We are not a very bright light to the nations, to our neighbors. He is. That's good news. Praise Jesus for that. He does what we can't do, what we could never do. He takes the curse on himself so that we wouldn't have to. And he calls us to be a missional people 
to be a light wherever we go because he's done it for us. He's healed us. He's gonna continue to heal us more. He's gonna redeem us. He's gonna restore us. He's gonna restore this world. He is the master builder and he's building us brick by brick, piece by piece, continually as his Holy Spirit works in our heart, works in our lives. He is the master builder, not us. And it's our job to lean on him, to learn from him. He has taken this on. The reason why we can be a distinct people, a unique people, separate people, my friends, it's not out of our own works, our perfectionism, our workaholism, or what we can do ourselves, picking ourselves up by our own moral bootstraps. It's by learning from a God and saying, Lord, thank you that you're merciful towards our iniquities, that you remember our sins no more. It's out of a state of gratefulness and thankfulness that we can actually be a light to others, that we can be human with other people because we're not better than other people. Whether we've been Christians most of our lives or not, we are not. There's no reason we should be chosen, but yet we get to be. Here's the reality. It is a state of gratefulness and a state of grace that ought to be what overflows in our heart when we begin to think about all the things that we do, how we don't measure up to the standard, but yet God meets the standard for us and gives us what we could never give ourselves. And out of that should come an overflowing of gratefulness. Lord, thank you that I get to be with you forevermore, that you get to use me, that you give reason for my vocation, for my job. Thank you for putting me in this school, these neighborhoods, these places. Um, I don't know what to say here, but Lord, help me. And the Lord delights to answer those prayers, to equip you to be lights wherever you are. And so the good news of the gospel is, is on this journey, when you fail time and time again, the Lord still says, I'm your God. You're my people. I love you. And I'm with you. He says, end of Matthew, till the end of the age, I will never leave you. And the good news is, is guys, the hope of the gospel is that as the master builder, he will one day come back, restore all things that we broke. The things that maybe we're actively breaking now, he will restore and redeem all things once forever. That is the, the glorious hope we have in Revelation 21 and 22. That this Jesus doesn't leave us or forsake us, but he comes to redeem and then one day restore all things, rebuilding again his world for his glory and our deeper joy. The good news is, guys, we just get to be a part of that. That's the joy. We get to be a part of this master building plan. We don't deserve it, but the good news is, is God delights to use us. Is that not good news? I think that is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are a frail people. We are a forgetful people. Lord, we need you. Lord, remind us of your faithfulness, Lord, day in and day out. And Lord, may it be your faithfulness, Lord, that leads us to repentance, that leads us, Lord, to want to care for others and to lead others, Lord, towards this good news that we have in the first place with you. Thank you that you are kind, you are patient, you are slow to anger, Lord. You are steadfast in all of your ways. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, wherever you call us, you, Lord, are the one doing the building, not us. We simply get to be used by you. Lord, may we be a people that say, Lord, use us, use all that we have, all that we are for your glory, for your honor, but Lord, for our deeper joy. Lord, bring peace and harmony and goodness to our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you use us, even though we don't deserve to be used. And all God's people said, amen, amen.